Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Eric. I'm Brittany. And we are... We're Colored Nerds. The conversations that black people have. When white people are not in the room. But we record them. And we put them on the internet. How's it going? Man, I'm doing good. I'm and excited for today. Sorry, I'm excited right? for today, too. I got a new bra yesterday. Congrats. Thank you. I got my You've nails. You've been talking about it for a while. I've really needed one for a while. I got my nails done and my eyebrows done. I feel like a brand new woman. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Last night, I had Wingstop. I hadn't had Wingstop. Since uh, John was here, my friend John. Oh my God, John moved away many months, like a year ago. No, he came, well, yeah, he moved oh, away a year ago. He, he came back around yeah, the birth true. of Peanut. Uh, and we got Wingstop, and that's when we bought all the LeBron's Mix Sprite. Oh my God. And yeah. we literally yeah. bought like this, like six two liters of LeBron's Mix Sprite, proceeded to drink it all, and ate Wingstop. It was, it was a wonderful Wait, day. Wait, you drank the, all, the six li- all, the two, all the two liters? Not in one day. Oh my god! But I thought it like one. Over sitting. the course of like a like a week. Oh, okay. You know, still at least a syrupy blood, but it's not, okay. Not too bad. I'm still here. Still yeah, kicking. I guess so. Oh, by the way, shout out John! Congratulations on yes. your engagement. Whoop, whoop, whoop. She didn't say no. She didn't say no. Although, no, actually, I, I told I told him I was like I never doubt it. I texted him the day the morning of, and I said, you know what, John? No matter what happens. <laughs> You shot your shot. I was like, regardless of what happens, I still support you. <laughs> but no, they 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 are going to be an awesome couple. Shout out to John. Yeah, that's my homie and my brother. But yes. yeah, uh, other than that, that's it. I had Wingstop. It was great. I'm living life to the fullest. I'm still black. Oh, really? That's interesting. When you mentioned Wingstop earlier, you made it sound like you were having some well. I mean, issues. there's opportunity cost to everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I but uh, but um, I enjoyed it when I had it. Well, I guess we should get it cracking. Yes. We have yes. somebody else with us. Oh, man. So happy. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to? You should interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, sitting with us in the studio today, prolific writer <laughs> um, <laughs> at MTV News and co host of the podcast Speed Dial with Ira Madison III. Doreen St. Felix. Yes. Hello. Happy to be here. Welcome. Yay. <laughs> this is so exciting. We've talked about what you write. So oh, many, my God. Like, what? At least <laughs> four five. or five times. Yeah, yeah, four or five times. Literally. Easy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That means the world to me on this lovely Saturday morning. Yes. Morning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's early. It is. Uh, right now, it's not that early, but it is still morning. It was. <laughs> Was well, I mean, you know, the point is that we're all sitting inside of yes. an office on a Saturday, which you know, that's the, we all sacrifice time to be here. So we, this we, is called commitment. We thank you. Yes. We thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So yeah. So you write. 
I do. <laughs> and like a topic that we love when you write about is black women. Regardless of what they do, favorites for us, black teens on Instagram and mm-hmm. Vine, breaking the internet and not getting the profits. The one that you wrote about, Kayla Newman, a.k.a. Peaches Monroe, a.k.a. Eyebrows on Fleek. Yes. The fuck? <laughs> In, indeed. Uh, last month was the two-year anniversary of the genesis of On Fleek. Has it been two years? It's been crazy two wow. years. <laughs> I had a coworker who recently found out what On Fleek was. And it was amazing because, like, I think that she thought that nobody else knew either. And oh, everybody, no. literally everybody else, regardless of age, race, whatever, in the office was like, no, I know what On Fleek yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no. They mm-mm. weren't going to get caught slipping. Yeah, like, they were like, girl. No. <laughs> um, but also, like, a love profane, beautiful piece you wrote about Lemonade, Prosperity Gospel of Rihanna. Definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Thank that you. Actually, Eric put me onto that one. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a big Rihanna fan, and I also appreciate just how she, like, how she lives her life to the fullest at mm-hmm. all times. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, and I think a lot of people often, like, give her shit because of the way she, like, flaunts what she's acquired. And I thought it was a really, really great breakdown on how, like, I mean, you need to back the fuck off she's Rihanna because she's lit. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, it was great. It was great. And we'll include all these in the show notes. You will definitely include all these in the show notes. But, like, you write about black women who are famous and not necessarily different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Like, aside from the obvious, (laughs) like, what's the draw? You know, it goes back to four years ago when I was an undergrad. I was studying English and there was a track within my school and it was called nonfiction. And it essentially was, like, new journalism. Mm Mm-hmm. So as opposed to just, like, going out and straight reporting, it was like, okay, like, write criticism about whatever subject in pop culture or science, whatever thing that you're thinking about. And, of course, I was doing a lot of, like, Africana studies at that point. And so Mm -hmm. I was drawn to the idea of blackness and women in unconventional spaces and those spaces that academia doesn't really address. So stuff like music, fashion, Mm -hmm. the Internet. And I got a whole lot of shit from all of my advisors all of my teachers basically because it was like this thing where if I was in the writing department they were like oh you're writing about blackness that's academic but then if I was in the Africana department it was like oh we don't talk about like you're not writing about the struggle necessarily Mm -hmm. so that doesn't constitute what we would do in this department so I was just (sighs) the black sheep (laughs) 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 within both of those programs And it really, like, put me off from writing. I didn't write for a very long time. And then I started tweeting. Mm. (laughs) This was probably, like, two years ago. I was tweeting, and I found this, like, incredible community of women online Mm -hmm. who were thinking the way that I did. And now it sounds silly to me to be, like, I didn't realize that it was sanctioned to write criticism about black women in pop culture in that way. You Mm -hmm. know, to use, like deconstructionist methods to talk about Rihanna or to talk about Beyonce. I just didn't know it was possible. I didn't know you could do it. Mm -hmm. And then once I found out you could do it, I was like, bitch! (laughs) So the first piece that I wrote was the Rihanna piece. Um, I did that for Pitchfork about a year and a half ago at that point. And I think since then it's just been forward momentum and I've been, you know, trying to integrate reporting as much as possible Mm -hmm. into this criticism because I think it's really easy for people to dismiss writing like that it's part of the whole backlash against poptimism 
mm-hmm. yeah. which I don't know if people know what it is, but it's essentially just like it started in music criticism, but they kind of feel like the only music that should be taken seriously is rock and roll music that's mm-hmm. created by white men. And mm-hmm. so there's been a renaissance of young critics of all different races and genders who are like, no, actually, that's not right. Mm-hmm. So... I think for me, it's been like, okay, how can I evidence that that's true? I can do that by talking to people. I can do that by looking at numbers. So that's, I think, where I am right now in my process of growing as a writer. Wait, so the Rihanna piece was the first thing that you ever wrote professionally? Yes. Wow. Girl, what? (laughs) (laughs) Swinging. It was indeed. If you could just like briefly explain from the horse's mouth, like what that piece is about. Absolutely. So in March of 2015, a one Rihanna put out a single called Bitch Better Have My Money. And, you know, the ripple effects were huge. People were just like so into the message of it. But I felt that it was also simultaneously not being like considered in... You know, a serious way. There's I definitely think, a lot of backlash. Yeah. Like before, I, sorry, I'll let you continue with the summary, but definitely like before the video came out, folks were like, eh, yeah. what, what, like, what is this about? Yeah, because I think people, and Beyonce gets that response a lot too, mm-hmm. where people are like, you're rich. Who do you need money from? Like, you have more money than I do. Mm-hmm. But in my piece, I try to argue within the larger structure of music, And you can make this argument about sports, too. The performers, people like Rihanna, Mm -hmm. the players, people like give any black sportsmen are not making anywhere close to the amount of money that they should be making Mm -hmm. from the money that they generate. Therefore, when a subject like that puts out a message that's like, actually, I'm going to liberate myself through capitalism Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make myself bigger and stronger with all of the material that I accrue, with all of the women I put next to me, that is a message that isn't... I just think it's radical. And I know it's like... I got a lot of backlash towards my essay as well from people being like, well, if somebody is within that capitalist structure, it's, you know, it's problematic to say that they are radical. But I but think, who's outside of the structure? Exactly. What I'm wondering. I just think that's um, I don't think that that argument really means anything material. It's not yeah. something that you can actually you, you don't you can't have a rebuttal to it because we're all obviously we created the structure. Yeah. yeah. Slavery. Remember it. <laughs> so I tried to investigate the ways Um, there's a visual culture around black women and carrying cash like physically. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this is not the first time that Rihanna has associated herself with money in that kind of vulgar way. So in the poured up video, you know, she has the (laughs) dollar bills with her face on it. And it's like, like a couple of months ago when we found out that Harriet Tubman was going to be mm-hmm. on the $20 bill. I yeah. was, that was the first image I thought of. Oh, damn. Like, Rihanna yeah. put herself <laughs> on currency, too. <laughs> Had to sow the seeds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what the piece was just about. Black girls getting money is a beautiful thing. The first thing that I ever wrote that I published wasn't at Pitchfork, right? What made you be like, okay, this is something that, like, I need to, like, actually publish. I need to put it out there. It needs to be put out at that level. That's a great question. Well, one of the reasons is purely logistical. I had um, this wonderful editor, Jessica Hopper, who's actually now my editor at MTV News. Oh my god, she did a she did, she has she knows a lot about the whole R. Kelly situation. Yeah, yeah she yeah. was basically the journalist that broke that story. Oh my gosh, she wrote like a 
it wasn't a book. Was it? She wrote a book about it, or maybe she wrote a book about it. I just a remember, series of essays or something like that. Yeah, yeah she, she, she had a series of essays come out last year. I don't remember the title exactly, but the gist is she's the only living female rock critic, and so it's a bunch of essays of the criticism wow. that she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she had contacted me months before and was just like, "Hey, listen, like you should be publishing mm-hmm. based on your tweets. Like you should be doing it." And I was like, "Well, I'm actually a little bit scared, and I don't want to." <laughs> So when I was watching the conversations happen around Rihanna, it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. In general, I had been kind of confused why there wasn't serious music criticism on Rihanna. I mean, you can look at the New York Times, the New Yorker. There aren't the essays that are applied to women artists who are also part of her class. So like Sky Fiera gets, mm. you know, broken down and considered intellectually, but not Rihanna. Yeah. And that obviously has everything to do with her race. Yeah. So I really wanted to set out to be the person who was going to be like, you know what? She's a pop star and pop is a serious machine. And mm-hmm. so we're going to take her seriously. So th- I think that was like my major motivation. What was like the transition like? You know, you, to go from like, I'm just tweeting, like nobody knows what I'm talking about to mm-hmm. like, Everybody is reading and talking about this thing. What was that like emotionally? It was really intense and I really resisted it because, I mean, to have your first piece blow up in that way makes you scared to publish a second piece. Yeah. Because, yeah. Sophomore slump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, if it's not as good, what do you do when you're hoping to find the same reaction? But obviously it's just not possible that people are going to react to everything that you write in that way because not every subject that you're engaging with is at the top of you know the cultural forefront so i kind of like sat back and i was like okay i'm going to become a freelancer in Mm -hmm. order to become a freelancer i need to make connections i need to make schedules and so i really um preoccupied myself with just like organizing and then after that things came kind of swiftly like i think i wrote that Toni Morrison piece about Sula, the reader's mm-hmm. guide. I mm-hmm. think that came out like two weeks after. So I just kind of like had tunnel vision and was like, okay, my project is going to be to take black women seriously. So I have to go to those outlets that are going to allow me to do that. I mean, one of the things I think you do really well is in terms of making those like connections, making those cultural connections to to other things. Where are you going for those things? Like obviously we consume a lot of media, but mm-hmm. I mean one of the things that can be challenging is like actually saying like this really relates to this and like creating some sort of process for making sure that you can identify it. Because like Brittany said, you're I mean you're pretty prolific. You write, like you write very consistently. And it can be challenging. Like I I mean we talk about like struggling to find <laughs> ideas. <laughs> I could talk about that too. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, you seem to have created like a healthy process for 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 making those connections through mm-hmm. your criticism. Could you well, talk thank more you about so that? Much. Um, I think for me, it's about being really honest with myself about what is, you know, maybe a mirage and what is actually a phenomenon. So that is to say. When you are a black freelancer, I'm not a freelancer anymore, but when I was, of course, I was getting contacted by editors to write, you know, one-off think pieces. Mm. Like, this thing happened at 9 a.m., write me something by 3. And more often than not, I would say no, because I didn't think that that was enough time for me to, A, tell the story in a way that's actually compelling, but Mm. also, B, I'm not going to be, like, 
your black reactionary platform because you don't have anybody on staff. You mm. just need me to like give a statement on the <laughs> state of blackness. So I think that was one thing that was really important for me to do was to resist those like quick bursts of energy because at the end, like in the long run, they really exhaust you. Yeah. And then you can't see the larger stories, mm. the larger connections that are happening. And so I think just taking your time and making sure that you do research, that you read a little bit further. Guaranteed, if you're seeing one thing happen, there's like 10 stories behind it. And I think when I was writing the Fader story about black teens not getting paid for, you know, the cultural material they create, mm -hmm. initially I was just like, oh, you know, this is something that's just happening in the late aughts to now. Like, this is a product of the internet. And then when I was talking to more people, it was like, oh, no, actually, this has to do with intellectual property law. And so I think just taking my time. It's funny that you say I'm consistent because sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit slow. But <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to ruin my approach as a journalist to, like, make some deadlines that at the end of the day don't really matter. Yeah. Damn. There is no, I mean, but that's real yeah. though. Like, you do feel like a lot of pressure. You were on your honeymoon, and I don't know what I, I don't know where I was. I might have just been at work or tired <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But we, we couldn't do a lemonade episode for a while. And mm -hmm. it, like, like in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, like, shit, everybody's gonna put it out. Yeah, yeah, everyone's gonna be done. But like, there was stuff that we were able to talk about in a conversation that we were able to have that was still different than what a lot of other people did. And like, waiting like a couple weeks didn't ruin anything yeah you know what i mean the news cycle as it is right now it's just so so fast mm -hmm. so it's like it, it, there is that like pressure like we got to turn out of this mm -hmm. episode we got to turn out of that episode but i mean the truth is you like you're right once you sit on that information and really decide like how you actually feel about it like a lot of things will present themselves as far as what your take should be yeah and i think people probably look to your episode differently um, than the way that they might have looked to an episode that came out that week, which is why podcasting can actually kind of like subvert the news cycle in a really interesting way. Oh, shit. <laughs> Say more about that. Because I struggle with this. Say more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think we look to or I look to I've traditionally looked to radio and then obviously podcasting is the son of radio <laughs> for a different approach. Like if I want to get like that quick information Writing is much better for that because there's less organization to do. Like, it's just, like, one person, most likely. But I think with podcasting, you, what you want to do is you want to hear the various theses that a person might have. You want to hear them process it. And you want to hear them get to those conclusions. Mm -hmm. And I think Lemonade, in particular, because it was such a rich text, it I waited five days to write a piece. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, am I waiting too long? So... <laughs> And then after I published it, I was like, oh, no, like I could have written so much more. And yeah. so I think because podcasting obviously is not going to happen on that day to day clip, mm -hmm. y'all are at an advantage to be like, OK, we already don't even work in your <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. quick factory like production. Yeah. So we'll take our time to give you just what ends up being, in my opinion, a different product doing different work. Yeah, I mean, we agree. So much better about my job. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Maybe this has value. <laughs> I have I have one question before we move on to the next portion of the conversation, yeah. which I know Eric is I'm, chomping I'm, at the yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> your, your pin tweet on your uh. profile. I love it. It's so good. Everybody want to be a black woman, but nobody want to be a black woman. What is that about? 
I mean, <laughs> it's about the state of America. Listen, so obviously the original iteration of that quote um, is from Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. Paul Mooney is a great black comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of unsung, I would say, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can like watch the Chappelle clip and he's like, everybody want to be a nigga, but nobody want to be a nigga. Yeah. Which is true. Yeah. And some people would argue that nigga is a gender, gender neutral term. But obviously, <laughs> when people hear that word and the sentiment that he was getting across was that everybody wants to be a black parentheses man, yeah. but nobody wants to be a black parentheses man. Yeah. Um, and so it was important for me to it's it's kind of like I could describe it as um, like a little totem I have because like. My Twitter timeline is my home on the internet. Mm-hmm. When I'm working online, like I always go back to it. And so when I have that there, it's like, oh, yeah, this is like what your job is as a critic. You're supposed to look at the ways that the labor black women have performed throughout American and also global history have been kind of like sublimated through other people. And so the Kar- Kardashians is a really good example of that. And Sylvia Obel at BuzzFeed wrote that mm, just tome amazing. of a piece. <laughs> tome of a piece mm. on the history of China and the Kardashians. And she has this really great bit where she like very methodically goes through the ways the Kardashians have um, made a product of what are considered attributes and behaviors of black women. Yeah. And when you see that so, it's just done so clearly, it's like, oh shit, like, there actually is a very clear way to trace um, how black women have become commodities. Not like in an academic way. It's just like, no, here are these behaviors. Here's China. Here's Amber Rose. Mm -hmm. Here is how the Kardashians, like, took that up. And here's their empire. Like, it's just three steps. Like, you don't need to do, like, (laughs) a lot of complicated, like, calculus to understand that. And so for me, it's just a reminder of, like, behind any cultural phenomenon, there's black women's labor. That's getting ignored. So that is a great... (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I think... No, I mean, I think that's a great... That's a great point, one. Uh, and that's also a good spot to transition mm-hmm. uh, to the next subject of conversation. Lord, so, you got to help me. <laughs> well, no, I, I, mean, I think you'll be surprised. Uh, so you mentioned, we reached out to you. We were like, what don't you get a chance to talk about? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, like, what can we talk about that, that doesn't come up often? And you said one thing that, that definitely piqued, like, both of our Immediately. interests. Immediately. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> You said that you get a sordid comfort from watching Tyler Perry movies and shows. So guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> so Tyler Perry is a little, you know, he he's someone who people have complicated feelings about. Yes. Mm-hmm. I say black folks have complicated mm-hmm. feelings. Uh about. yeah. Uh so I mean, say more about that comfort that you get from watching Tyler Perry. All right. I'm gonna take you guys back <laughs> to I'd say the year 2000. I have an older sister. My sister is 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. At that point, Tyler Perry was gaining a lot of local fame through his plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We grew up in New York, but my sister, she had a lot of Southern friends who, you know, they would get basically like DVDs, DVDs. of his plays. Yeah. yeah. And you could get them. And, like, and then after a while, you could get them at the beauty shop. Yep. yep. Like 
everywhere. People on the street. Yeah. People yeah. on the street. They were selling them like Nigerian movies, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out Nollywood. Um, so, of course, I started, you know, watching them with my sister and my mother. And initially, I didn't really, I didn't really get a lot of the like cultural references because mm-hmm. a I grew up Catholic in the Northeast, which is very different from growing up like you know general Christian down south. Mm-hmm. And also like I was a little bit younger, but watching my mom like so viscerally connect to this like <sighs> facile content made <laughs> me just think like. I ended up creating this connection in my head where it was like, oh, like when you're grown, you get Tyler Perry. And so in the interest <laughs> of wanting to be grown, I started <laughs> to watch his stuff nonstop. Like I watched so many of the plays on DVDs and then he started doing the movies. So I was like, all right, family reunion, Diary mm-hmm. of a Mad Black Woman. Yeah. And if you watch Tyler Perry movies you'll know that he has created a universe and there's something to be said about that any artist who can create a universe and sustain it over a long period of time like that's just a feat yeah you know it's it's something that like um what's his name that white guy he's like the white version of tyler perry Mm. Uh, he makes i'm sitting here like who wes anderson okay oh right 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 I don't um, think he's ever gotten that that comparison before. You're welcome, Wes. <laughs> but he does a similar thing. And obviously we can have arguments about taste, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's interesting to me. And I'm also interested in the audience that Tyler Perry courts because I mm-hmm. think that they're they are an audience that is kind of considered to be folksy by some people, an audience that doesn't necessarily, they're not going to be the harbingers of what good art is. But obviously he's making something that means a lot to a lot of people. And they're underserved. Yes. Like, you know, there's there's not traditionally media made for them. So, I mean, it's int- the way you described it, I, I mean, sounds really familiar. Like, the mm. same, I mean, the same thing. Like, I grew up in Memphis, so, like, and most of my family's from Louisiana. So, like, we mm-hmm. just started getting DVDs. I feel like they just came in the mail one day. <laughs> like, it's so true. Literally, I, they were just there one day, and we were like, all right, we're going to watch some of these plays. And I had never really, like, I, like Brittany knows, I'm not super into theater. No. But, um, but we used to just watch these plays over and over yep. and over again. What's a black holiday without everybody <laughs> gathering around over stuff to watch a Tyler Perry live DVD? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and initially I was like, hmm, it's, it, I remember just always feeling like something about this is off. But like in the like in the group, you know, like you just kind of fade into. Yes. Fade into oh, that like, feeling. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, I mean, it was the same thing. And then, but honestly, I think once the movies started coming out, I think that's when I started having, like, a more of a knee-jerk, like, wait, wait. <laughs> 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 Something's wrong here. See, I saw a Diary of a Mad Black. I contributed to the opening weekend ticket sales of Diary of a Mad Black. Support Black Art, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And... I actually, like, I super enjoyed it. I, like, really, really, really enjoyed seeing it. There's something that was, like, it was really fun. It was easy to get into. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, like, it was breezy. It breezed by. And then also, like, that was kind of during an in-between time where there weren't, like, and we've talked about this before, you and I, Eric, like, about how in the late 80s, early 90s, there was just, like, a whole bunch of, like, movies just about black people, yeah. like, mm-hmm. with all black casts. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, even there were, like, a few television shows 
actually more than there was a, few a healthy tele- amount of television a healthy shows. amount of television yeah. shows in the, in the late 80s and, and early 90s and not just talking about only Martin or only the Cosby show like there was you know obviously Fresh Prince there's different obviously world. a different world yeah. mm-hmm. a whole slew of like UPN and WB girlfriends yeah. right you know and then you know that kind of trickled out into the, like the 90s as far as film is concerned you had like Love Jones and you had like the best man, the wood, yeah. the mm-hmm. brothers. Like you still had these. Was that two can play that game? Yeah. But like breaking all the rules. Yeah, breaking all the rules. But like by the time it kind of got to be like I'd say around the mid aughts, that well had kind of dried up. And yeah. I, if I think back on it, I was probably thirsty to see something like that. Because yeah. part of being a black child is that because there's not a lot of like entertainment aimed at black young people. Basically, you go from watching like whatever. Children's movie, Gullah Island. Right, you literally go from Gullah <laughs> Island to like watching a bootleg DVD of you know whatever something PG thirteen or R rated. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's no bridge. There's no like bridge in entertainment. Whereas I feel like a lot of like white young people, they have like that sort of like that tween market kind of figure. Yeah, I mean, the young adult genre is yeah. just like. It's what that's supposed to do? Yeah, and like we don't. I feel like I, my, I was like eleven, and my mom handed me a copy of The Color Purple. Like you need to read this. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I mean, it's true. It's true, but it's also like eleven. How much? How much are you absorbing at the age? Of life? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, I was thirsty for that. I was like seventeen, maybe eighteen, and I was like, I think thirsty for that kind of content with just all black folks in it. Mm-hmm. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue... Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Like, I think everybody would be hard-pressed to admit that they have some affinity for, like, Tyler Perry. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, it's that, it's that comfort that you find. But in addition, it's like, I mean, he also just has kept folks working. Like, he's kept a lot of people working. And, and to a degree that, like, I think he often doesn't get as much credit for. Like you said, in that universe. Kimberly like, Elise. Yeah. Lynn Whitfield. Yeah. Cicely Tyson. Angela Bassett. 
Maya Angelou. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely deserves to be kind of applauded for that. But I think it's like, I mean, the thing that I often struggle with is kind of like, at what cost? <laughs> yeah. You know? <sighs> like, There's the question of the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk about the, the uh, so how we, b- before we got here, you talked about kind of the commodification of, of black women. Mm-hmm. It's clear that the black woman is kind of at the center of his, like, entertainment ideal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's a theory that I can get behind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, I don't see a problem with that. But the way he chooses to, like, express that idea is like it's weird like it's weird in the sense like there are a lot of stereotypes mm-hmm. yeah you know whether it's whether it's like the black woman is trying to save someone else or like struggling with her own spirituality yeah or even the more explicit stereotypes like the fact that he takes to dressing as a black woman mm-hmm. yeah. you know in this like clear like mammy-esque character yeah. like that shit is just that's the thing that kind of makes me struggle with his content I would say more than anything like mm-hmm. like honestly cause like Tyler Perry movies remind me of like they are the Christian equivalent to like nigglature like you know what I mean? <laughs> like true to the game like all the <laughs> you've never heard oh of nigglature I've heard of hood lit uh, it's hood lit like but it's Jesus. Also it came from Jesus we got it from Jesus oh of course yeah. it came from Jesus yes Jesus said nigglature and I mean it's it's, it's apt I mean, it's, it's like it's, an apt description that's an accurate term you know? and like I have mad look. I've read true to the game at least like three times mm-hmm. coldest winter ever and like Coldest Winter Ever to me is like Pulitzer work. I wish I was. I wish. I don't even. It's in the canon. Please. I was obsessed with um, erotica. I read Zane all the time. Hello. My God. I watched the movie. I watched Zane Addicted, the actual film. (laughs) Wow. Within the past year. That's that's actually recent, right? Yeah. It's recent. Yeah. I'm I'm still in a relationship too. Isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) Subjected another person to this. And I'm not single. I mean, it's it's crazy. (laughs) Put your faith in God. Look what happened. (laughs) But yeah, so like Tyler Perry kind of created this like offshoot of that. That like I, I I don't have any problem with. I can support that. Like I can support you telling these stories that honestly don't frankly get told. But like, yeah, some of those like caricatures and tropes just really like are kind of off. Is that where it gets weird for you? Because I find some people, eh, for some people, it's not necessarily even that. I mean, honestly, that doesn't bother me that much. And I think part of it is because I'm always wary of the argument. Obviously, there are black stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That is. Can't be contested. However, I think that you can engage black stereotypes or maybe even subvert them in a way that's still artful. Like, I don't think that black stereotypes just shouldn't be in any black art because they're, like, bad or they send a bad message. Mm -hmm. However, my problem with Tyler Perry is that the writing is so bad. (laughs) 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 It's like, like, you just, you can just see... You know, whatever, like, three or four people were in the writer's room, they were like, all right, it's Monday. We need a script by Wednesday. Yeah. Work it out. Do what you got to do. Like but they're you, not stressed. <laughs> at all. Because they're just going to, like... They go home at five. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to repopulate the scripts with, you know, the same light skin, dark skin, like, tension or whatever. <laughs> like, thinly veiled Christian saviordom or whatever. Yeah. So that's where my problem actually lies. Because I think that, like, the stereotype... 
thing with Tyler Perry can also be applied to Spike Lee. It can be applied to most black male filmmakers. Oh, I wonder what the problem is here. <laughs> Please go on. Could it yeah. be men? <laughs> Please go on. But seriously, what you say about Spike Lee, say more about that. That that Yeah. That's a nugget right there. I mean, Ira Madison the third and I actually talked about this very briefly on our podcast a couple mm-hmm. of weeks back. But I think that because Spike Lee went to film school and had a certain pedigree and knew things of aesthetics, his use of stereotypes didn't necessarily hit as immediately when you watch like a Tyler Perry movie. Because Tyler Perry is just like, there's no art There's no dressing. Yeah, there's no dressing. Like there's no like, oh, let me lead you through a story whatever. It's very just like blunt. Spike Lee is the opposite of that in style. However, in subject matter, you know, it's the kind of thing where, like, I get a little bit older, I'm a little bit wiser, my side eye has grown, and I'm like, "Mm, Jungle Fever? Like, why is Wesley Snipes talking like that? Like, Jungle Fever is... Why is Halle Berry doing, you know? It's the best movie I've ever seen. So I think that... And then the other thing is with Spike, I'm going to give you the real, having been accepted by a white audience I think really affected the way that he was remembered critically because like white people don't watch Tyler Perry movies like Mm -hmm. that is I'm gonna stand behind that statement like I think it's pretty (laughs) I think it's accurate accurate (laughs) but Spike Lee courted a white audience Mm. and they kind of like made him this like art house like black artist or whatever yeah and they're not gonna know what a black stereotype looks like because they don't even know what a black person looks like so (laughs) I think that he was able to actually like finagle himself really well in terms of gaining acclaim but still being considered like a down black artist in a way that just would never be available to Tyler Perry, which I think is a conversation we need to have. Tyler Perry, he doesn't come from that like New York Mm -hmm. arena. Yeah. I mean, it's also interesting, especially if looking at those two specifically, especially for the clear disdain that Spike has for Tyler Perry, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, they're friends now. Well, they're cool now. I feel like I feel like Ish. they ain't really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I like Tyler ain't a, it's one of Spike's like barbecues, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like he didn't come true. to the Prince Block party. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not going down like that. But I mean it's it's clear that like Spike does think because he has this like, you know, he has the artifice of like I'm an auteur. They're they're producing a different product. Yeah. And that's a great point. It's a lot of tropes in Spike's films too. Well, you, you know, know what? Even what you say about, like, I'm an auteur, it makes me think about what we watched here last Saturday morning. Oh, what was that? The Kanye West. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Lord. Video. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, mean, like, we I mean. We about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not just a tangent. Yeah. No. That's like, so what had happened is that I go to bed at night. I go to bed early, so I wasn't about to be sitting up waiting for Kanye West to show me some shit I was going to see on YouTube the next day. <laughs> I I ain't got time for that. Yeah. And so my boyfriend works overnight, and he was at work, and he was like, oh, Kanye about to release this video, about to drop the video. And then he watched it that night. I woke up, and he had texted me, like, an article, like, from Complex, kind of, like, explaining it. And I was like, I don't have time to do this right now. <laughs> like, I have to get to work. Like, I don't want to go into this. But then we were, like, sitting just doing some administrative stuff. And then I was like, let's watch this video. I was like, I'm tired of writing this fucking email copy or whatever. Let's watch a little Kanye. And yeah, we watched famous. It. And we watched it. <laughs> and it was like, the. I mean, long story short, on my end, I just felt like this person has such a fucked up relationship 
with two women. Yes. It is not even t- like women boundaries. Yeah. Objectification. What he considers to be art, what we consider to be art, and like the fact that he knew that he could give this to a lot of people, and a lot of people would somehow find it transcendent. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, I was so upset in, some, in so many levels. Never mind the fact that the next day I watched four of the five parts of the OJ Thirty for Thirty documentary. <laughs> oh my god! So like having the Kanye like right next to the OJ, I was like, do y'all not see? <laughs> it was so stressful, but I feel like. Like you say about Tyler, uh, Tyler Perry, like he doesn't have like that white acclaim because mm. white people don't even know who the fuck he is, mm-hmm. right? But like I would argue that a lot of his films do have deal with some sort of theme of black female punishment, punishing a black woman for wanting something, whether it's sex outside of her relationship, wanting more money, wanting more professional acumen, and then somehow she gets punished throughout the film, right? Mm-hmm. And people pick up on that and they'll talk about it and it's a thing. And I'm not necessarily condoning that. And some of it I do have a serious problem with, like, Temptation, for one, I had a lot of serious problems with, uh, where, like, the lead character contracts HIV seemingly as a punishment for, you know, stepping out of our marriage. But Spike Lee, and definitely to a a very, very, very sharp degree, Kanye West, can kind of get away with shitting on black women in so many different ways. And Kanye's example, specifically and famous, just violence— like, it's mm-hmm. either, like, omission or violence of black women in his imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, because he has some sort of art, there's, like, an art house shroud around it. So it's, like, it makes it okay. Exactly. I think that's such a shrewd point. And I think you can you can see the problem beginning actually in the art world. Because the art world is, I mean, I'm not an auteur myself, but I do know people <laughs> who wheel and deal in that world. And it's extremely segregated and extremely racist. However, there is like this trope that occurs within it where it's like, oh, there's like the one like problem genius black child that they all lift up. Mm. And I think the paragon of that is probably Basquiat in yeah. the 80s. yeah. And we can talk about Basquiat's, like, really difficult, like, relationships with people like Warhol and Madonna, you yeah. know? Like, he was, like, really—he was just in a dark place. Yeah. And, you know, he ends up dying in his 20s. And so I think that, like, white people, there's, like, an erotic tinge to their obsession with black men in that world. Mm. And I think the black men, like, really just, like, fucking love that shit. Like, yeah. Kanye West, he— that's he gets like, off on it. Yeah, too. he gets off on it. Like mm. that's his fuel for life. You know how like the fact that Taylor Swift first of all, all the in the famous video, all the women, their breasts are exposed. Literally except for his wife. Except which for is his wife. So fucked up. And it's her her ass is exposed, which exactly. is another thing. Because exactly. like whose ass is that actually? <laughs> so Taylor Swift is right next to him. And obviously he's pointing to the controversy that happened where Taylor was like, No, I didn't actually consent for you to say that you fucked me in your song yeah. or that you wanted to fuck me in your song. Yeah. So she's next to him and she's this like lily white girl or whatever. And I think your point about the omission of black women, black images is so apt in that little duo. Because when I was watching, I was like, the whole point of him putting himself next to Taylor Swift is to say like, this white girl like didn't even want me, but I can still like use her image and I can put her next to like my mm-hmm. black body. You know, and Mm -hmm. it's about Kanye West. A grand theme of his music has always been like, in some ways, it does have to do with his weird relationship with his mother. But it's like gaining fame in a way that kind of like means that he has to leave the past behind. And for him, like black women are his past. Yeah. 
You know, there was Alexis, there yeah. was Amber, there's yeah. his mother. And, and Amber is in the video, yeah. but, like, on one hand, Amber does not readily read as, like, what woman. you think of necessarily Absolutely. when you think of a black American woman. But in that way, she almost feels like a stepping stone. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, he just found, like, a whiter version of Amber who is willing to join up with him for the rest of his life. And even the way he demonizes her, like, now that they're not together, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it seems like very much a rejection of, you know his past self. Now, like Taylor Swift specifically and his like refusal to let that go mm-hmm. is really interesting too just because that's usually the thing that gets you up out the paint. The fact that you are claiming some sort of like sexual agency over a white woman yeah. is not traditionally well received, <laughs> you know, by white people at large. Yeah. So like, I mean, it, it does say a lot like that his quote-unquote artistic portrayal of of his desire for that mm-hmm. is what makes that okay. Like, it's clear that the art of it all makes whatever it is okay. Mm-hmm. And that is like, yeah. it's like, it's, it's honestly, it's just like, it's troubling. Like, it's Absolutely. really, really, really troubling. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, I've stopped trying to understand Kanye. I d- there's, there's <laughs> no, Kanye literally in that video put the image of Bill Cosby yeah, like so, <laughs> right, right so next upsetting. to the image of Caitlyn Jenner, who was also topless, right? Yep. Like, who's also like his mother-in-law, yeah. right? And it's just like, what is the point of provocatively, quote unquote, invoking Bill Cosby's image whatsoever? I see that as nothing but violent and invasive to anybody, right? To certainly, I would guess, a strong quarter, third of the population, that's going to be stressful just to see this person's image in, like, Mm -hmm. a music video. But then also to have this person's body next to not just, you know, not just a white woman's body, but also, like, a white woman whose body is so politicized. People are always curious about her body. People are always gawking at her body. And, like, couldn't make a very personal choice to live how she wanted to live without also inviting the rest of the world into mm. conversation about yeah. her body, right? Like, I find nothing transgressive about showing her bare chest. I think that's violent, doubly violent because this person is in your family, just like with your wife and your ex-girlfriend and somebody who technically is a colleague that you have a, a very bad relationship with in Taylor Swift. It's just like, I think it's abusive kind of to to use these people's like nude bodies mm-hmm. for your gain and just to like kind of shock people and it's like interesting not just angering but interesting to me that not everybody sees it that way and i actually am surprised at the lack of think pieces like this is the one spot where i'm like i'm surprised there aren't more it was boring Thank Honestly, you. thank you. It's over ten minutes long. Yeah, we we fast forwarded through the middle six minutes. Yeah, it's just there's no. It's just like oh my god, like heavy breathing and snoring, people and somnolescence or whatever. Like it's just there isn't that much concept behind it. And in fact, the concept that it does have was ripped from the original artist. And mm-hmm. so I think that Kanye's, I don't know, his run might be in a bit of a tizzy if he doesn't like. He can't just lean on this, like, very elementary idea of essentially introducing stress in an audience and then saying <laughs> that the stress is evidence of art. Yeah. That's what, like, fresh, like, first years at art school do. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to shock you. And it's like, you cannot shock anybody anymore. No. You're married to a Kardashian. They can't even shock people anymore, which is no. why they're making apps. They even know that that <laughs> shit is done. Yeah. And so, yeah. for me... 
I almost couldn't even feel that the images were violent because I just thought it was so boring. Like I was just like, there's no introduction of an idea here that you didn't tell us before. We already know that you think this way about fame and we already know that you think this way about how you should be empowered. I say this in air quotes as a black man, Kanye, I think the real shift, if we're going to like maybe look at the first half of hip hop to the second half that we're in now is like, I think that black men who are, like you can look at Aesop Mob, even Jay Z to an extent. It's mm-hmm. way more about like integrating themselves into white spaces of mm-hmm. luxury and art and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're rapping about Margilla now. Like yeah. that's not what they were doing yeah. thirty years ago. Yeah. So that's where we're at. But I do think that Kanye, his specific project. It's just played out to me. It's like this dude is about to turn 40 years old. He clearly has a lot of anxiety about it. And he's like trying to always place himself as the weather vane of where hip hop is going. And mm. I think that hip hop is not even going in that direction anymore. Yeah. I mean, you made a couple of good points there. Like, so there there definitely is the kind of this like clear shift to it's like to having hip hop be considered high art. Mm-hmm. Um, like like you said, like you see it through ASAP Mob, even like folks like Ian Connor, yeah. like who oh. we don't even have to. Yeah. Do <laughs> I'm, but, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But and and like Jay Z too. But the thing that I think is interesting about Kanye is like he really sees himself. He's he's kind of perched himself at quote unquote the peak of that, mm-hmm. like the top. Yeah. In addition, he's also much more vindictive than you know <laughs> than anybody else in that mix. Like he really sees himself as like. Like having been victimized mm-hmm. before on his ascent, mm. and so now that he's like gotten himself at at the top of this or like claimed that space, now he's like, I want to make everybody else pay for like making wow. me feel bad, That's which is like crazy. It's like if you start off as a first year teacher on your ascent to principal, you will feel like. <laughs> People were mean to you. That's no. like anything. Like it's like when I went from seven to nine dollars at Books a Million in Washington <laughs> D.C. Like there were people who were mean to me on my ascent to getting a raise. But like that's life. It's like bizarre yeah. to me that he feels somehow entitled to be like just free of that. Well, it, I mean, it, it's interesting. He he does see himself as like he he thinks it's clear that now he's now that he's gotten to a certain point, he thinks he should be without struggle. When, like, being black is struggle. Like, that's, like, that is the whole thing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And he sees himself as, like, oh, I've done this thing that is great. Now I should be outside of that. I should be able to exist outside of white supremacy, outside of racism, outside of, you know, everything. And it's funny how Kanye conceptualizes the idea of struggle in his life. Because there's one reading that says, oh, Kanye really had to, like, fight to get to where he is now. Mm -hmm. And there's the right reading, (laughs) which shows a kid who grew up middle class in Chicago had really extremely intellectual, intelligent parents, Mm -hmm. was a successful producer, you know, experienced some pushback within the community of black rappers and black producers who were like, oh, like, you're never going to be a good rapper. Became a great rapper. (laughs) Married a Kardashian. Like, it's just like, oh, the two, like, big struggles you had in your life are the death of your mother and George Bush. Like, those aren't actually, to me, I don't think that they have enough fuel to propel him into 2016 necessarily. Yeah. Um, but maybe not. I think I'll take out 
the, the example of his mother's death because but, obviously that is. I mean, that's devastating, but it also is like that's a part of like. Yeah. I mean, first, I mean, that's a part of living. And number two, it's like it's a blessing that you do outlive your parents, right? Yeah. That's like a that's like something that I hope to expect to deal with. Like that's, you know, that's like life. It's life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, his wife went through that. Like, yeah. Kim lost her father when she was extremely Very young. young. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think that he, in some ways, maybe I'll get a lot of shit for saying this, but his uh, his compulsion to always victimize himself, like you say, may, it's like a weird, like, white male thing. Yeah. It's like victimizing well. himself over the, <laughs> over the wrong things. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's like, always identifying with Disney and Steve Jobs. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them. Like, I mean, Warhol. Like, he... he, mm-hmm. he he wants to be among those names. Yeah. Yeah, you rarely... Oh, my God. When has Kanye ever Aligned said that himself? he wants to be, like, a great black creator of art? Um, Never. I would love to quiz Kanye to see if, like, he knew the <laughs> he names. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, damn. Wow. I guess Steve McQueen <laughs> in a way, but he sees Steve as more, more of a collaborator. Yeah. yeah. He sees him probably as a contemporary and a peer. Which is... Yeah, it says a lot in itself. They're funny. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, wow. We, I just feel like we just hit. Yeah, like yeah I, I'm, I'm yeah. like Dark. sitting in that for a minute. Like, <laughs> oh. And uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings up kind of a larger point to like all the things that we're kind of talking about. Like, which I think actually does also relate to Tyler Perry. Like, so mm-hmm. with Spike and, you know, let's say like a Kanye, there definitely is kind of this. Well, I think Spike at one point wanted to be among, like, wanted to have more vindication from, like, white people and, yes. and, and the white film world. It seems now that he's somewhat retreating from that. Like, now I think as he gets older, he just wants to kind of continue doing his thing yeah. and have the ability to do that. And Kanye clearly still and seemingly will never get over his desire to, like, to, to be accepted by, like, mm-hmm. white people and, and white people of a certain class and, mm-hmm. and, and um, stature. Um, but Tyler Perry, interestingly enough, doesn't seem to have that same desire mm. and is probably more like reviled for it. You know, like he doesn't yeah. seemingly have much desire to elevate the way he produces his art, like to elevate his quality, like across the board. He's like, look, you know, I I kind of got my lane and seems so much more comfortable kind of staying in it and just catering to just catering to black folks. Well, that reminds me of like a quote from this Rembert Brown piece from New York Magazine about Tyler Perry, where, you know, he says that like his audience is the group he still identifies with and feels part of and sees the humanity of in a way that both Hollywood and a sizable chunk of the American public do not understand. It's an audience who doesn't see this as fringe entertainment, an audience who sees this as the best entertainment, the only entertainment. Like, yeah. Tyler Perry and a lot of his audience thinks that the quality of the storytelling and the production is great. And like on some level, that almost makes me feel like almost like protective in a weird way yeah. and of, of some elements, kind of the same way that I was protective of like when Lemonade came out. I just wanted to be like, you need to have written about this, 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 and this for this many years. And you need to read all these things and seen the color purple at least seven times <laughs> before you can even put your fingers to a keyboard to say shit about Lemonade. And I, I kind of feel that about some elements of Tyler Perry's work where it's kind of like, what do you actually know about who this is for? Mm. 
I think also Tyler Perry, as much as he is singular within the film industry, certainly has a class of, in general, black creators that he's a part of. You know, they're the singers who, like, only sing for us. Like, his class is the BET Awards. Mm -hmm. You know, I was... I don't know. Did you guys watch BET Awards? I don't, Actually, I, I don't get BET. Oh, okay. I have the shittiest case. I only get public <laughs> oh, access. Sorry. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, it doesn't matter if you didn't watch yeah. it, but I think you can get my sense of saying everybody in that audience, most of the people were people that only black people knew. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Maxwell was there. Like you don't see white girls going up for Maxwell. Yeah. And it <laughs> felt like it felt really safe. And I understand what you're saying when you say protective. And so I think Tyler Perry, he does actually have um, a contingent of people that he can relate to as creators. And the number one being Oprah. Mm. Oprah and Tyler Perry in the past few years have essentially created this like indomitable, both like capitalist, like teaming up, but also artistically. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he has a bunch of shows on own and they're always like collaborating or whatever. And so... I don't know. Tyler Perry gives me a lot of anxiety about myself personally, somebody who went through like a lot of white schools Mm. and obviously was taught to critique in a white way. Mm. I feel like, oh, shit, like, have I been that deeply gentrified that, you know, I can like stick up my nose? That we're too good for it. Yeah, Yeah, that we're too good for it. Like, what does that mean? Um, And what does it mean we're like... You feel too good for it, and the white people in your space like understand that. Mm. It's like, I don't need y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> y'all don't need to have an opinion mm. about the black people who love Tyler Perry. Mm. Exactly. I mean, it's the same way. Like, one of the things we were talking about is like, there was a time, there were, it was probably like, it was, hell, this is when I was at Howard, mm-hmm. where I was like, <laughs> my mom would be like, oh, we just got the new Tyler Perry DVD. I was like, mom, don't watch that. Don't like, it's not that good. Like, like, it's like, like he's a mammy. Like, blah, blah, blah. and like, mom was like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And literally, like, went on about her business. And now, like, honestly, I'm to the point where, like, they love it. And and I get it. And, like, some of it is really good. Like, I actually went and was uh, watching some clips for the, like, the the haves and the have-nots. Yes. And that shit is actually kind of good. Like, (laughs) like, I was sitting there like, oh, damn, like, where can I find this? Like, I was mad that it wasn't, it's not on, like, Hulu or Amazon. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm just saying, like, I get it now. I think you have to kind of release, like, a lot of the, like, pretentiousness. Like you said, that release a little bit of the lens that was given to us by someone who does not look like us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And now, like, now I think I have a bit bit more appreciation for it. I do still want to talk to him about some of the stuff that he puts yeah. in his films, though. But, you know, at the end of the day, he got more money than I do. Yes. So, Hell <laughs> so much a more. A lot more money than I do. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of the richest men in Hollywood. They yeah. and he's barely in Hollywood. No. He owns a studio. Culturally, he they shot. It's like a, a town, right? In Atlanta. Yeah, it's like a it's like a little mini village thing. They filmed the first uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. They filmed like the mansion that the mm-hmm. main characters live in was like that's his house, wow. and that's the house that he bought off of stage plays. Yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing. He was huge before he was making movies. Yeah, and the fact that he still does those stage plays says a lot too. Again, going back to like catering to that like specific type of audience, the fact that he's now now he's not too good for that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think really really like says a lot. Yeah, my parents just went to see a Tyler Perry live show um, a few weeks ago at the Detroit Music Hall, maybe a couple months ago, and they had a hell of a time. They had a great time. They say put on a fantastic show. Which, I mean, we've all seen in DVDs, we know. Yeah. That's amazing. And he is a good actor. I think white people are probably introduced to that via Gone Girl. Yeah. 
Like, Which, oh, oh my God. The little coon connect. <laughs> he was in Gone Girl. I never yeah. saw that movie because it was about. You don't need to see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like literally about a whole bunch of shit that like I just couldn't care less. About. The main reason I don't go to the movies, honestly. Well, once I had a traumatic experience in the movies where people thought a bomb was going off. So like oh, I haven't wow. seen. Yeah, it happened in the middle of like Iron Man 2. So I actually haven't seen a single superhero movie in like four years. But outside of that. Most movies are about white people falling in love. And, like, don't get me wrong, Nancy Myers puts out a movie about anything. If she put out a movie about shoes or fish or books, I would fucking watch the shit out of that shit. She put Anne Hathaway in it. She could bring Meg Ryan and her raggedy face back. I do not give a fuck. I will watch any motherfucking romantic comedy bullshit that she puts out because I love her. Nancy I love Myers all that hive. shit. Yes. I'm, the, I'm in the Nancy Myers hive. But most movies to me are about, like, white people climbing rocks I never saw it 127 hours you know why because why the fuck would I be by myself in a crag in the middle of the fucking desert that rock fell on his arm that's not relatable to me and that's how I feel about a lot of movies I'm like I can't be moved to go Mm -hmm. see them the black version of that movie would be one minute long yeah oh you want to go to the crag nope that's it let's play spades (laughs) roll credits yeah But yeah, I mean, but the thing is, though, is that like, it's really easy. Like, it's like on the weekend and stuff like that. Yeah, my boyfriend, we don't have cable. Neither one of us has cable. Like, we find ourselves watching a lot of, whether it's Tyler Perry or, you know, something in a similar vein. Because I'm never not interested. I'm never not interested in that because it's about me. Yeah. And I think the familiarity... It's just, it's really comforting. And that's why I described it as a sordid comfort because I still <laughs> absolutely am enraged by the way that he portrays black women in particular. And also, I think that like he needs to step the art quality up, the mm-hmm. production quality up. But still, it's just like, there's like a base level. I don't know. It's like my pleasure neurons just start spiking <laughs> when I see like all black people on a screen. And. That's the uncanniness of stereotypes. Yeah, they're evil, but they also sound like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every like mother in a black Tyler Perry movie is a caricature, but also sounds exactly like your mother. Yeah. 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 You hit the nail on the head there. You hit the nail on the head. And I think, I mean, honestly, I think probably to wrap it up a little bit, but I think I had, I had more of an issue with Tyler Perry when I felt like Tyler Perry was kind of like the only one out there like making film. At like a certain <laughs> frequency and level, mm-hmm. but I will say, like now, I mean, now that you have like Ava DuVernay, you have like Ryan Coogler. There are a lot more. Well, not a lot more. There are a few, <laughs> a couple, <laughs> a couple <laughs> more people yeah. getting shout outs. You know, um, like I, I think there's there there's slowly becoming a, like a little bit more diversity in terms of like how much like how much black film, how much output. That yeah. there is like there's there's becoming a range mm-hmm. uh which when he first started making film i don't think there was no. as much Mm-mm. yeah and i think there was a fear that this is all we're gonna get yeah yeah like he is becoming so famous and gaining so much of an audience mm-hmm. that it's like oh man if he fills the entire void and we're just gonna be watching Diary <laughs> forever. <laughs> that's the thing. That's like the that's like the uh, that's like the scarcity myth though about like all yeah. black art, which is that like they're gonna they're gonna like this one person is gonna fill the hole that like that we're confined to, but like we're not confined to a hole. At the end of the day, black folks, we're so thirsty to see ourselves. We will find more money in our pockets to spend on each other. Yeah, that's true. Isn't that beautiful? 
It is. It's like a capitalist love story. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a good note to... Uh, <laughs> We love capitalism. So, Doreen, thank you so much. You're fantastic. Thank for... you for having me. This was amazing. So, you're amazing. Yeah. This is great. I had so much fun. No, you're awesome. I'm so excited to, to keep listening to the podcast, keep reading your writing. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and you have to come back again. Yes. Yes. So, thank y'all for, for rocking with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can leave a review on mm-hmm. iTunes. We always appreciate it. Five yes. stars only. Five stars only. Five star chick. <laughs> In addition, now you can support us on Patreon. Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash for color nerds and just throw like throw us a couple scraps. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. But other than that, we will be back soon. Soon. Can't say when always. Yeah. These days. <laughs> Don't but quite that's know. why if you support us on Patreon, this shit will come out more regularly. Yes. So back at y'all. All right. Bye. Bye. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.